Hey Church of the Beloved, thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Today's message is brought to us by our interim senior pastor, Abe Lee. He is preaching from the book of 1 Thessalonians. Um, now, some of you are aware of this. I'm, I'm a bivocational pastor uh, for Church of the Beloved. I'll tell you that my passion is for you, is for this church, the Church of the Beloved, but my paycheck is from my day job. Uh, I'm the head of product for a tech company. I've been in consulting and in tech since uh, over 20 years now, since 2000. And one of the lessons that has been drilled into me from my time doing things like presentations and trainings and uh, orals and sales is always repeat what you're going to say. The the saying is, tell them what you're going to tell them then tell them, and then tell them what you told them. I don't know if some of you have heard that adage before, if you use it yourself. Just as a side, there's another one that got drilled into my head, which is this. If you ever have to do, like, PowerPoint presentations, sometimes it's a really good idea to just walk up to the screen or the monitor that you're doing and, and, and literally touch it. Touch it as you're talking about it, because it captivates the audience, and it makes them, it draws them in as you talk about whatever's on the screen. And that is an absolute, has nothing to do with today's message at all. It's a tangent, and it's just something that popped into my head as I was preparing for this. But I want to tell you, what I learned is you got to tell them what you're going to tell them, then tell them, and then tell them what you told them, right? Because the idea is this, repetition results in retention. And and it's, it's how God's wired us. And so we're, for example, we're called to meditate on the word of the Lord day and night, right? Because repetition, it results in retention. And God, for example, instructed Joshua as he stepped into Moses' job to lead the people of Israel. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, this is what is written. It says, this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You're to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. And that's the reason this repetition uh, that's the reason why before each sermon in this particular series, I've started with a recap uh, because of repetition uh, and retention. It's, it's also, I do that also because I know that there are folks who are just joining us for the first time and it'd be easier for them to follow along. So having said all that, let me remind you, we are now in a sermon series that we've called Letters from a Friend. And here we're looking at the letters that Paul wrote to Tim and Titus and Phil and to the churches in Galatia, Ephesus, uh, Philippi, Colossae, and Thessalonica. He wrote two of them to Th- Thessalonica. I already told you about some of these letters, but let me tell you what I already told you. Again, repetition. We started with Paul, and we, Paul, the author, and how his life reminds us that absolutely no one is beyond God's reach. We looked at Galatians, and it speaks to a unity in our Christian liberty. We looked at Ephesians, and it speaks to a unity in our diversity. Philippians, it speaks to uh, a unity by not diminishing me, but rather elevating our you as fellow image bearers of God, our unity in our humility. And then Colossians, last week, speaks of us being united as a family that live lives as Christ loves. But today I'm going to approach this letter a little differently. With the other ones, I really did try to identify a central theme that you know, I could emphasize as we looked at each of those letters. But as I was reading this first letter to the Thessalonians from Paul, there's a lot in here. So what I wanted to do today, instead of like a one-point or a three-point sermon, we're going to do a survey of this letter, a little like school. We're going to take a look at the entire book together, but at a, at a high level. It's not a long letter, but it's got so much going on. I just couldn't, 
identify one theme to focus on. Now, if you're following along with us in your Bible or your Bible app, I'm going to be using the Christian Standard Bible instead of the ESV where we typically use. And the AV team, uh, Opal, is going to try really hard to keep up and show the passages on the screen. Uh, thanks to you, and I'm sorry, Opal. Um, there's a lot of passages today. And we're going to start right from the beginning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the first four words of this letter. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Now, a lot of scholars think that this is one of Paul's earliest letters, like his first or second one. And, and I love the fact that right from the beginning, this young apostle points out he had a crew. That's the very first thing I see, at least. Paul understood the value of being a part of a team of leaders, of godly individuals that have a passion for the gospel and a passion for the gospel transformed. See, the work that Paul was doing was with their counsel, with their participation as well. He was not a one-man show. Church of the Beloved is not a one-person show either. Even though we sometimes joke that if it was, it would be Yuji's show. Church of the Beloved is all of us. And we grow in our love, we grow in our devotion, not because I alone preach from the pulpit, but we grow together in our love for Jesus because we have folks like Cots and Kevin and Mike teaching Sunday school. We grow together in our love for Jesus because of the care provided to our beloved kids by folks like Charlie, Evelyn, Lydia, Ray, Shana, and Shika. And we're looking for more mentors to help us in that process. We grow together in our love for Jesus because of the welcoming culture that Hannah and Michael Morgan, they, that they create with the welcome team. We grow together in our love for Jesus because of the care that our diaconate is trying so hard to provide. Uh, Isaac, Stacy, and Peter, Tom and Ariel, Cuts, as well as our deacons in training who are already stepping up, Adam and Hannah, Opal and Suzette, my wife. Church of the Blood is not a one-person show. It's all of us. Now, I do not intend to throw shade or make anyone feel guilty or shamed, but I have a challenge. I have a challenge, especially for our covenant members with a question. Are you engaged with, some, with any area of ministry? It could be the board of directors. It could be a community group. It could be pre-service prayer, 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, or it just worship. If you're not engaged with any area of ministry at all, we're not a one-person show. It's, our, it's your church, and we are unified in our diversity of cultures and opinions and experiences, and as a result of this, we can encourage each other to grow closer to our Father in Heaven. For those of you who are joining us online, again, I'm not intending to throw shade, but if you're not coming back because, uh, because of inertia, because it's just easier to stay in bed and tune in virtually, please consider coming back. If you're not coming back because of the health concerns, and that's, I get that, please, absolutely, stay safe. But if it's because it's easier to not, I want you to consider what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. It says, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Remember, Paul had a crew. He had a crew surrounding him, just as we do here. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians. <clears throat> Going on to verses 2 to 5, it says this. We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. And we recall in the presence of God, 
our God and Father, your work produced by faith and your labor motivated by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that, that he has chosen you because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and, and with full assurance, you know how we lived among you for your benefit. And Paul's pointing out to this church in Thessalonica that one of the reasons for their growth, one of the reasons for their endurance and for their faith and hope and love, one of the reasons for their ability to be a shining example to, to all of Greece is because of their teachers, because the gospel was coming to life through the work and the efforts of their leaders. It says, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit. So I'm currently serving as the interim senior pastor here at Church of the Blood. And I was affirmed into this position by the congregation last year. But in all fairness, I've been serving in this capacity essentially since the middle of 2020. Uh, And we don't need to go into the whole history of it all too much, but I'll tell you this. God called me and my wife Suzette to this community back in 2018. And then he pushed us through the door into leadership. And I've loved the majority of time in that. Almost every moment has been a joy. But it's always been with this understanding that my role was temporary. And that our pastoral search committee would seek out a candidate or candidates to present to the congregation for consideration. And I want to emphasize something here. It is for our covenant members' consideration. It's not an expectation or even a desire for a rubber stamp of approval from our beloved covenant members. Now, I don't think y'all would do that anyway. I don't, I, there's a good level of healthy questioning always there, which is good. What we're asking for, though, is your discernment. We're asking for your wisdom in seeking affirmation regarding Pastor Clint's call to, by God to serve as the senior pastor of this church of your church, of our church. See, the beauty of this letter to Thessalonica, to the Christians, is that it is reminding us that our growth as the elect of God, our drawing nearer to our Father in heaven, is in part due to the leadership over us, the shepherd of this local flock. And so we have to, we must look for someone that is more than words. We need to find a person who comes in power. Now, I'm not talking about someone who has, you know, coming and doing miraculous things like healing the sick and removing COVID from Chicago. I'm talking about a leader that has visible examples that we can imitate. Examples of the Holy Spirit actively transforming that individual and actively transforming the community around that person. Because the integrity of the person that God has called to teach and lead us matters so much. So I'm asking you to discern with all seriousness the word, and the power of the Spirit in Pastor Clint when he comes to visit us at the end of the month. Let's keep going through our little survey of this letter. We're, gonna, we're still in chapter 1, going through verses 6 and 10. 6 to 10, and it says this, And you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result... You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything. For they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you. 
how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and, and to wait for his son from heaven to be raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. See, the, the transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit, it is not limited to the pastor here or the shepherd, at least in this letter. The transformation was evident within that church. And, and, and we, as a church, are called to imitate it. Because transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit is proof that we are becoming righteous, that we are becoming sanctified. Romans chapter 5, verse 17, Paul wrote this. Since by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? We turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It reads, Paul wrote, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. See, the instant we came to faith in Christ as the Son of God, when we believed Him as the Redeemer of our souls, at that very moment, we were made righteous. We were justified. And, and, and we are simultaneously being made righteous or being sanctified, right? This, this, that is our transformation because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And our transformation is evidence by our sanctification through affliction, which leads the world around us to imitation. Now, Paul's point here is that people were hearing stories of this transformation, evidenced by sanctification through affliction, and the people around them, they wanted to learn more, and they wanted to be more like the Christians of Thessalonica. And maybe it's a bit of pride here when I say this, but I, I would love, and I love being part of a church filled with the beloved of God who are, through all the trials and all the difficulties, through the afflictions that we face, we are an example to this city, to Chicago, for folks to follow. I believe that we are a church that has striven to greater sanctification through our affliction by the ongoing transformation of the Holy Spirit. And it brings me so much joy to see that reality in us here. Let's keep going. Chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. It says, As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. I'll tell you, this has been my prayer, my hope, and my effort for every single one here. Not only to preach and encourage, not only to use words, but to actively comfort, to walk with you as we together work out our salvation. You know, as we together we walk worthy of God, I do not presume to give myself the title of spiritual father to anyone here at Church of the Love, but I will say that my heart has taken that position on. I don't want to be like an Asian or absentee or just an unavailable dad or anything like that, but I want to be a dad, who, a spiritual father who knows and who cares and who leads by living out the life that Christ has called us to live. Not a do as I say, but not as I do type of dad. Rather, as Paul lived and I try to live, and whoever serves as our pastor will, I hope, live. Live a do as I say and do as I do type of dad for our church. Let's keep going. Chapter 3, verse 11 to 13. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. 
And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. I love the fact that Paul, you know, he hears the news about what's going on. You know, he asked, and Timothy basically gives Paul a praise report, right, about what's happening in the, the Thessalonica. And, and Timothy says, you know, everything's good. They're growing in their faith. And so Paul's reaction is just to stop and pray. Right in the middle. He puts it in his letter because it's never a bad time to pray. Whether it's in real life or in a letter or in a text or in an email, it's never a bad time to pray. That's what he's saying. And, and if you quickly look at the content of that prayer, it's wonderful because it's a call to holiness. It's a call to sanctification. And, and the way to live that out, the way to become holy and to seek sanctification is for God to ask God to increase our love for each other. Holiness, it comes through community. Our love for our family, our friends and family, will help us become sanctified. In chapter 4, verse 3, it says, For this is God's will, your sanctification. And I've mentioned these words now, justification and sanctification, a few times. And some of you may be familiar with these terms. I think Kevin actually covered it uh, in his Sunday school last week. But I want to take a moment to be clear about what these concepts are. From a biblical perspective, from a Christian perspective, what these concepts for those who are the redeemed of God mean. Because I, I feel like I've gone a little too quickly through them. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says this. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This, this is speaking about justification. About, and justification is it's the immediate and permanent act of God at the moment you confess and proclaim that Jesus Christ is your Savior. It is the instantaneous imputation of Christ's righteousness on us. And then you look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 to 18. And what's written there by Peter is this, Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard, guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, seek sanctification. See, sanctification is the work we do to become more like the one who justified us in the first place. We are made righteous because of the work of Christ, and we live righteous so that the others, others might know the work of Christ and become justified. See, our sanctification, it helps lead others to their justification, and both our justification and our ongoing sanctification are enabled, are empowered by the work of God, God alone. It's the Holy Spirit in our lives that helps us do this. And so if we go back to uh, chapter 4, verse 3 to 8, it says this, For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to live, uh, called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. And consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. See, our sanctification, our holiness, 
is what we are called to live for and what to, we're called to live towards. And, and not because it's what the world around us encourages, not at all, but because it's what God has called us to. And he doesn't just give us this command. God says this. He says, my will is for you to be holy, for you to be sanctified. And here's my Holy Spirit to help you do that. Because I know you can't do it on your own. We're doing pretty well here. Uh, let's keep on going. Chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. It gives us more practical application what the holy living is supposed to look like. And in verses 9 and 10, Paul actually is like, you know, you all don't really need me to tell you how to live holy because you're, you're already doing it. Just keep on keeping on. And then in verse 11, he continues on and says this, Seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, so, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. I was having a conversation with Riley earlier today. Lead a quiet life. I'll tell you this. And if, though there are many introverts here, this is not Paul's attempt to say, hey, introverts, you're holier than the extroverts. This is not at all that. I, I really appreciate how the Passion Translation actually translates this passage. It says this. It says, make it your driving ambition to lead a calm and peaceful life as you mind your own business. See, leading a quiet life, leading a calm and peaceful life, it is to live in harmony. Because conflicts are going to arise, disagreements are going to come, but we live for a Christ who brought a ministry of reconciliation, so we are called to live a life that strives for shalom, for peace. One that understands the fine line also between caring for someone and caring for someone by being all, all up in their business. There, there's a distinction. And the last part of this passage, though, I think is extremely interesting. It says, work with your own hands. Now, I'll tell you, we know that Judaism and Christianity, they both emphasize the importance and the value of caring for the vulnerable. James chapter 1, verse 27, it says this, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Suzette and I are traveling to Zambia uh, with, uh, to spend time in support of one of our partners' hands at work. We'll be there in July and we do this because our faith in our God, it, he emphasizes the importance of loving and caring for the vulnerable, the ones who are unable to work. But at the same time, Paul is reminding us that work is holy. Work is a holy thing. It's something that God created for our benefit. Now, with the fall of Adam and Eve, work has become a hard thing, but it was always meant to be a holy thing. You may not like that, but that's the truth. And Paul refused to like, at the time, Paul refused to take money from the folks at Thessalonica. He decided, you know what, I'm going to work as a tent maker. And he literally made tents so he could support himself. Not that paying to care for spiritual leaders or pastors, it's not wrong, right? But at the time, it was more right for Paul to not take their money. For me, for example, I serve, and I serve without receiving compensation, not because it's wrong to pay a pastor. It's absolutely right. It's just right now, it's not. Because of Paul's situation, he could effectively say to them, hey, listen, y'all that are being so lazy that you're mooching off the kindness of those who have more, please, just stop it. Because you are not being an effective witness of the transformative work of Christ. Like I said, there's a lot in here. Let's move on to verses 13 to 18. It says this. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, 
concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way through Jesus, God will bring him with him those who have fallen asleep. We say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, we're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. For those of you who uh, missed our corporate prayer time, or maybe you're listening to our podcast, which is fine, we started, we spent some time praying for one of our beloved family members, our brother, Maurice, who passed away on Monday. I met Maurice the very first time Suzanne and I came to Beloved. I'll tell you, we're, we're only a few years apart, a couple years apart in age, uh, totally worlds apart in life experiences but totally united together in our faith. When Suzette heard the news, she worked overtime trying to, to locate his family. Because honestly, we just know his daughter, Vanessa, uh, and his uh, kind of adopted daughter, Athena. Athena. But Suzette was finally able to track down Maurice's adopted sister. One of the things that she said to Suzette was this, thank God he knew Jesus. Now there's no more pain. Maurice was shot uh, when he was a gangbanger. And if I'm not mistaken, the bullet stayed in his head, lodged in his head for 30 years. The pain, that bullet should have killed him. But that pain is gone now. He used to be stuck in his real chair, but I have a feeling he's running now. He used to live in this tiny studio behind Sultan's Market. But he's living in a mansion now. Hold on. Um, here's the thing. The people of Thessalonica, they were actually losing a lot of people. A lot of people were dying around them. It's possibly it was persecution or something. People in the community were dying. And the people in the community that were dying, the ones that were being left behind, they were not sure. They were kind of worried about where the dead were ending up. And here's what Paul reminded them of, the truth that we live for. He said, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. We're going to meet our sisters and our brothers who've gone before us one day. Maybe you've lost an aunt, an uncle, a mom, or a dad, a sister, or a brother, a friend, or a confidant. Maybe you've lost someone to, due to COVID, someone who knew Christ as their Savior. This is the hope he's given us. We're going to get caught up together when God returns. When the Lord returns, thank God Maurice knew Jesus. And I can say with all confidence, he's my brother forever. And I'll see him again. And we're going to celebrate. Uh, I want to actually end by looking at verses 4 or 5 of chapter 5. 
Uh, it says here, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark. For this day, and not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. For, for you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 says this. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. John chapter 12 verse 36, Jesus said, While you have the light, speaking of himself, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. See, the children of light are the justified by Jesus. The beloved of God are the children of light. So those among us who understand that our sin has separated us from God's presence, yet have declared publicly and honestly that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead so that our relationship with the Father in heaven could be restored, we are the children of light. We are the beloved of God. By the way, if this is a decision or a distinction that is not yet true for you and you want it to be, you can make that proclamation as well. And, and just, I just ask you, if you have, tell me about it afterwards. But for those of you for whom this is this, just, this title, children of light, for whom it applies, we are also children of the day. In other words, in verse 8 of chapter 5, it says, but since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. See, we are justified and we are made righteous instantaneously when we became children of light, but we belong to the day. We live in this world right here, right now, and our call is to live today. Live now. Live towards holiness. Live towards sanctification. We are justified to live sanctified so that others might be justified. I tell you, it's been a, a weird few weeks for me. I'm not going to get into details right now, especially we're, we're about out of time. But I am so grateful to God for how he works because this, this is the letter I needed right now. I know I've been redeemed by the grace and mercy of Christ. I know that we are seen as righteous and blameless in God's eyes right now because of the work Jesus already do, did. And I also know that I am not called to just sit back and rest on that truth. I know that, I've been, that we've been called to work out our salvation together. We are called to be children of light and children of the day. We are already redeemed, but not yet redeemed. We are to make every effort to live as children of the light and the day to live not only knowing that we are justified but live sanctified because we are justified and this call is based on the power of God through the Holy Spirit to keep us away from things like sexual morality, to, to not take advantage of our sisters and our brothers, to seek shalom or peace, to work hard to love our family this is a letter I needed this week maybe it's something you need as well and I know I didn't focus a lot on the Thessalonian context as we went through today's letter. Not that it's not important. It's absolutely important to understand context. The truth of this letter in its context, though, these truths, they are not limited to the Thessalonian context. The truth of these letters can and do apply to our context as well. This is the letter God knew 
knew I needed this week. And I hope this is a letter that God knows you need too. Anyway, that's the first letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. Thanks for tuning in to this week's COTV Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit us online at cotv.life. God bless and have a great week.